tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Welcome to the feast. Journeys through time in search of a good meal. Today we're heading back to early October in Munich in the year 1896. Now we've arrived in the bustling Bavarian town via the main train station, the Central Bahnhof, along with hundreds if not thousands of other visitors who have come for the internationally renowned testament to Bavarian culture, food, and drink, Oktoberfest. Now remember, we've arrived in a recently created German state, with unification only a few decades ago, back in 1871. Now, although Bavaria is still fairly independent as a kingdom with its own royal family, it is considered part of the political empire that's Germany, what's often known as the imperial period of its history that will last until the end of the First World War in 1918. The station we've arrived in showcases the new potential for travel throughout this united landscape. The 1800s witnessed the construction of a number of cross-German rail lines, connecting the various towns and regions like never before. This train station, Munich's first actually, was only built 40 years ago, and it's a Romanesque beauty of red and yellow bricks and limestone that hides an almost basilica-like interior. And it's already been deemed too small to accommodate the ever-increasing flood of passengers who are taking advantage of the relatively cheap cost of rail travel. So the station has been expanded almost constantly over the last 20 years, just to try and keep up with both the new rail lines and the rapidly growing city population. See, for the first time in history, more people in Bavaria are living in towns than in the country. Munich is already home to a few hundred thousand people, a population that will more than double over the next 10 years. So the train station is just north of the city center. But thankfully, and conveniently, it's not too far from our destination of the Oktoberfest fairgrounds, known as the Theresienwiese, or Teresa's Fields or Teresa's Meadows, named for the whole reason for Oktoberfest itself, the wedding of Prince Ludwig I of Bavaria, the royal family, and Teresa of Saxony-Hilbrughausen on October the 12th, 1810. The royal wedding had been the cause for national celebrations that lasted for weeks. In Munich, pageants, horse racing, even an agricultural festival were all part of the multi-week festivities. And you could argue Bavaria had a reason to celebrate. Although the Kingdom of Bavaria could trace its origins to the Middle Ages, its independence over the last hundred years or so had been pretty battered and bruised, first as a territory of the Holy Roman Empire, and then thanks to the Napoleonic Wars, which were still ongoing in the early part of the 19th century. Napoleon himself had re-established the royal family, crowning Ludwig's father, Maximilian I, in 1806. So by 1810, Bavaria sat in an awkward political spot. 
independent on paper, but subject to the whims of the Napoleonic court in France, as well as its close neighbors, the Prussian state. The wedding of 1810 was the perfect opportunity to celebrate the re-established royal family and to show itself off to Europe. Festival goers were encouraged to dress up in their regional costumes and attend the largest event of the 1810 celebrations, which were the horse races, which continued to be the main attraction at Oktoberfest even in 1896. As we exit the station, we can take in how the city looks at the end of the 19th century. Even to our 21st century eyes, much of the city would already look quite modern. The city is illuminated with electric lights, and there are even some motorized streetcars that will take you from one end of town to another. A few more years will bring even more modern marvels, including movie theaters before the year 1900. Wagons and horse-drawn carts still dominate the roads, but a few automobiles can be spotted on the wide boulevards, a product of the almost complete redesign of the Bavarian city in the mid-1800s. A royal drive for city beautification in the 1850s made Munich a capital to rival any in Europe at the time, with spacious roads, large, beautiful Renaissance-style administrative buildings, and more. Now, if we weren't headed directly to Oktoberfest, we could take in any number of new attractions in the city, including a national theater, royal collections of sculpture and painting, as well as a recently completed university, all royally sponsored. 1890s Bavaria has largely been molded by its most recent, and perhaps most famous king, Ludwig II, famous for his love of Bavarian history and culture. His commissioning of fairy tale castles, eventual inspiration for Disney, beautiful theaters, and promotion of Bavarian art contributed to a surge of national pride in the late 1880s, a sentiment that continued even past the king's mysterious and unfortunate death in 1886. This emphasis on Bavaria's heritage has only helped to cement Oktoberfest as an annual tradition for Munich. The festivities have only been cancelled a handful of times since 1810, usually for national emergencies, such as cholera outbreaks or the Bavarian Revolution in the late 1840s. The horse racing and the agricultural festival have become annual features of Oktoberfest, drawing wider crowds each year, helped in part by the new rail lines. And by 1896, Oktoberfest is thriving. Finally, we've arrived at the festival grounds, and now it's just a question of where to head first. There are a number of small food stands available, featuring slices of fresh cheeses and local pork sausages, all grilled to order. To keep these stands in supply, wagons travel back and forth constantly. The delicious smells coming off the wagons can in and of themselves be a great advertisement for the stands, and it's not unusual to find people following in the wake of the sausage or cheese wagon as they make their deliveries from tent to tent. Speaking of grilled meats, oxen roasts also have been an Oktoberfest crowd favorite since the festival's earliest years. We pass by a number of tents hawking oxen dinners, featuring not only a whole meal, but a chance to watch the meat cook, an actual enticing draw for any experienced Oktoberfest visitor. Given the usual size of an ox, watching this culinary achievement is a spectacle unto itself. Some tents have brought in an actual steam locomotive engine and factory-sized smokestacks, all for the purposes of rotating the great spit over a massive roaring fire, with the added potential bonus of luring folks in hoping to catch a glimpse of the massive machinery. By 1896, these tents have begun to dominate the Oktoberfest experience. The largest of them can hold hundreds of people at a time. Most are still fairly temporary structures built each year out of cloth and wood, but decorated to the nines with Bavarian imagery, such as regional flags or paintings of the countryside. 
The tents are usually hosted by local tavern or innkeepers, and are a chance to extend tavern life into the heart of the festival, serving beer and food as well as often hosting entertainment. Surprisingly enough, these tents are still fairly recent as a feature to Oktoberfest. The original celebrations in 1810 wouldn't have had any. But the 19th century has been good to the Bavarian brewer and the tavern keeper. Beer is quickly becoming the most popular drink in Germany. Even by the late 1800s, alcohol still was the easiest way to safely wet your whistle. Water was still notoriously unreliable in terms of its safety for drinking. Tea and coffee were still fairly expensive to have on a daily basis. And unless you had direct access to a cow, milk wasn't widely available before the age of refrigeration, which meant drinking alcohol was still considered to be safer, cheaper, and more available. But interestingly, beer still competed for Germany's favorite drink until the mid-19th century. Potato schnapps and wine were major competitors for the German brewer, as both were easily produced in the countryside or even in the home. Schnapps, for example, was promoted as a healthy breakfast drink, often taken as a quickly down shot before heading off to work or school. But although the brewing of beer was hundreds if not thousands of years old, the ability to produce it on a large scale was still somewhat difficult prior to the 19th century. But technological developments in the late 18th century, such as tools like the hydrometer, helped to determine the exact strength of spirits. These allowed for more precise brewing, and larger brews to be done at a single time. The overall growth of large-scale brewing in Munich had fostered a new prominence to beer within the cities. Beer itself was increasingly promoted as a nutritious beverage, considered to be a cure for indigestion as well as an anesthetic. More than its supposed health benefits, the industrialization of brewing has gone hand-in-hand hand with the rise of towns to put the city tavern at the epicenter of urban life. Pubs serve any number of functions besides just pouring pints. They can act as restaurants, hotels, the local sports organization, betting shops, even promoting dances or theater performances in the tavern itself. And the number of taverns has been steadily on the rise throughout the 19th century. In 1896, the number of operating taverns or beer halls is roughly double what it was only 20 years ago. So like the Starbucks of their day, numerous taverns could be found on a single block in a standard German town. As a common 19th century saying went, if you fell drunk out of one tavern in a city, you were liable to fall right into another. But this rapid growth of taverns has also meant new legislation and temperance movements aiming to limit the tavern's hold on urban life. Attempts to limit opening hours, for example, or even capacities of pubs, have left many tavern keepers in search of new business opportunities. Setting up a temporary stand at Oktoberfest to sell your wares seems like a natural fit. Although stands started small, with just a keg or two to serve thirsty festival-goers, these have rapidly expanded, and by our period of the mid-1890s, many of these... Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. 
We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Stands have transformed to now feature all the comforts of a tavern from within the festival gates. Food, entertainment, camaraderie, and of course, beer. We've decided to head to Schottenhammel's, already a legend at Oktoberfest even in 1896. Michael Schottenhammel, originally a carpenter from the nearby Palatinate region, who had turned to innkeeping in Munich, had been serving beer at Oktoberfest since the early 1870s. His hospitality soon became legendary, and each year Schottenhammel's tent grew just a bit bigger to accommodate the growing crowds. Schottenhammel has used every trick in the book to keep his patrons coming back each Oktoberfest, constantly enlarging his tent and featuring new technologies for his patrons to marvel at. For example, his tent was the first to feature electric lighting, allowing the drinking to continue long into the night. While we make our way to Schottenhammel's, it's a good idea to figure out what kind of beer we'll want. Like most of the other beer tents at Oktoberfest, Schottenhammel started out serving what were known as Bavarian summer beers. But about 20 years ago, back in 1872, thanks to unprecedented demand, the unthinkable happened. The Schottenhammel tent ran out of beer before the end of Oktoberfest. In desperation, the brewers turned to a beer rarely served, a beer that had been brewed back in March by one of the oldest civic breweries in Munich, dating to about the 14th century, known as the Franziskaner, or Franciscan Brewery, named for the monastic order that was next door to the original brewing building. The brewery was a prominent fixture in Munich history, merging with another brewery, the Least Brewery, in 1865, to become one of the largest in the city. Now, this combined brewery was responsible for the Merzen beer, or March beer, named for the month it was brewed in, that the Schottenhammel tent turned to on that fateful day in 1872. The reasons why this move was so controversial has a direct connection to the proud brewing heritage of Bavaria. And how could we talk about Bavarian brewing without mentioning the famous Bavarian beer purity laws, known as the Reinheitsgebot, considered to be among the oldest food purity laws in the world? They are just as responsible for shaping German brewing techniques here in 1896 as they will be in 2016. And they're also just as contentious. Although the Reinheitsgebot had long been adopted as the guidelines for Bavarian brewers since the later Middle Ages, they didn't have much effect outside this one kingdom. Brewers in other German regions were accustomed to brewing beer with a number of different ingredients, including various starches, sugars, and syrups. But Bavaria was one of the strongest voices in the newly united German Empire and pushed hard for legislation that would extend these brewing purity laws nationwide. Obviously, as you might expect, other German brewers criticized this move heavily, and this has created a more or less legislative nightmare for the German government. So in 1896, an awkward and temporary compromise has been reached. Technically, it's only illegal to brew with additional ingredients within the Kingdom of Bavaria. However, any brewer, no matter where they are in Germany, who adds additional ingredients to their beer apart from the basic three, faces increasing fines. This will finally come to a head in 1906, when laws will require all brewers throughout Germany to adhere to the strict Reinheitsgebot, threatening the closure of any brewery that doesn't comply. So back to the Merzen beer. The Reinheitsgebot laws not only specified what could and couldn't go into beer, namely only hops, water, and malt, but also when beer could be brewed and how much it could cost. Summer altogether was considered to be too warm for brewing. It made stable fermentation difficult, and the heat could often ruin a beer's quality. 
The original laws, some versions of which date to around the 16th century, stipulated that beer could only be brewed between the feasts of St. Michael to St. George. Those were religious festivals, roughly from the end of September to the end of April. Now, because March then was really the last full month of brewing, brewers were eager to preserve their product, upping the alcohol content so that it could survive the summer heat. The Meritzen beer that you'd be drinking in 1896 is accordingly fairly dark, brown, and very full-bodied. And since the Bavarian beer laws not only enforced how the beer was brewed, but also how much you got with each serving, over one liter by today's standards, it's easy to let this stuff go to your head. We'll put a recipe for this traditional brew on the Feast webpage, if you'd like to get a taste of 19th century Oktoberfest in your own home. So the Meritzen beer is still a relative newcomer to the Oktoberfest scene. But last year, in 1895, another new kind of beer made its appearance at the festival, also produced by a prominent local brewery, this time the Spaten Brewery, by this point run by the same family as the Franziskaner Liszt Brewery, just a few blocks over. This beer, known as Helles, was a complete change from the now popular dark Merzen beer. This clear blonde lager was a pet project of the three sons who had inherited the Spaten Brewery from their father. In 1893, having fiddled with the recipe for months, they sent trial batches off to Hamburg. The Hamburg brewers gave the Hellas a thumbs up, and the brothers debuted their product last year at the 1895 Oktoberfest. It was an immediate hit, and will be featured each year at the festival from now on. But that doesn't necessarily mean the other Munich brewers are happy about the new developments in brewing. Although Spaten and Franziskaner Liszt were wealthy enough to dedicate production lines to the new styles, the Association of Munich Brewers condemned the move, insisting that the new pale lager was just a fad, which attacked both the industry and the traditional Bavarian style of brewing. So in 1895, the association attempted to regulate the new styles, proposing a resolution that would prohibit any Munich brewery from making pale beers. The other two breweries refused to support the motion, and although they continued being the few that did brew the new Helles style, one by one other Munich breweries followed suit, making the blonde Helles that became the most popular beer style throughout Germany by the late 1920s. But there's another reason we've decided to head to 1896 in particular. It's a landmark year for Oktoberfest, above and beyond the new beers that are available. This year's also going to permanently change where we drink our beer. For the first time ever, Schottenhammel hasn't gone the way of the traditional tent. He's decided to erect a permanent wooden hall, complete with a tiled roof. This new structure can accommodate 1,500 beer-drinking patrons, and has become this year's hottest spot. Everything about the traditional Oktoberfest beer tents, the music, the food, and of course the beer is still here. But Schottenhammel has finally created what all the other tents only mimic, the traditional German tavern on the grandest of scales. It's the perfect combination of an urban tavern and a rural hunting lodge, representing two different strands of Bavarian culture. Patrons can stay for hours at a table, flagging down the various vendors that wander the hall, selling everything from small Oktoberfest mementos to the traditional pretzels to fried herring. You can even get yourself a cigar without losing your seat. Apart from electric lighting to keep the party going all night, as well as refrigeration to keep the drinks cold and fresh, beer is now served in an actual glass, first introduced at Oktoberfest in 1892. And by 1896, glass mugs have almost entirely replaced the older wooden or metal mugs for hygienic reasons. As one, they're much easier to clean and don't rot or rust, two unfortunate side effects of the other earlier used materials. But what would a trip to Oktoberfest be without a pretzel? 
Pretzels, or brezel, just like beer, have been a part of Bavarian culture for centuries. No one knows its exact origin story. Although it's a fairly basic dough, often restricted to just flour, water, yeast, and salt, its famous twisted shape has given rise to all kinds of theories as to some of the potential significance or meaning behind it. Some have suggested that its twist symbolizes arms crossed in prayer, perhaps a throwback to the Catholic roots of Bavaria. Some have even suggested that the number of twists was a way for local bakers to distinguish themselves. Different towns would feature a different number of twists to their pretzels or where those twists would be located. Pretzels could be found throughout 19th century Bavaria. Their easy handheld form made them a natural snacking food. But pretzels also could be used to mark special occasions. They were often hung on trees as Christmas ornaments, exchanged as tokens of love or friendship, given actually as prizes in sports competitions, and even were torn apart at weddings, like a wishbone, to ensure good luck in the coming marriage. Given Oktoberfest's origins as a wedding feast, it's no surprise perhaps to find pretzels in large quantities, whether here at Schotenhommel's or throughout the festival. From this point on, beer halls imitating Schottenhammel's model will pop up in ever-increasing numbers each Oktoberfest, and will eventually become the central features of the modern festival. By 2016, on average, over 5 million people from all over the world descend on Munich annually for Oktoberfest, consuming an impressive 7.7 million liters of beer during the weeks of the festival. Schottenhammel's Hall is still going strong, but if you'd like a seat, you're going to have to reserve months in advance. Although the once popular horse races are no longer held, pretzels, the ox roasts, and of course the music and fair games are still prominent features of the festival. If you don't find yourself near Munich this autumn, you can recreate Oktoberfest at home. Recipes for the traditional Märzen and Helles beer, along with some excellent Bavarian pretzel recipes, can be found all on our website at thefeastpodcast.org. And don't forget to come feast with us again on our next journey through culinary history. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.